0: Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, really excited about today's guest. It's Michael Avon Oming. I have spent most of the year with Mike Oming because uh, he was kind enough to ask that I write the text for his book, No Plan B, The Art of Michael Avon Oming, through Dark Horse. It was exciting to be part of the project. I got to interview Mike and uh, hopefully uh, get his words in a first-person narrative that uh, becomes the text of the book. And it was really exciting to be part of the project. Um, Mike has been a friend of Word Balloon really almost from the very beginning. I think 2006 is when we really got together. It might have been 2005. I'm not sure. I have to really check the archive to see when my first conversation with Mike was. But uh really got close at uh, New York Comic Con, the very first one back in 2006, when they shut down the floor and I had to hang out uh, but willingly from the boys I got to hang out in the uh, in the booth with uh, Mike uh, Oming and David Mack and Brian Bendis and um, really appreciated that. I think that really started a nice, uh, you know, acquaintanceship with all three of them and uh, really appreciate uh, talking to Mike over the years, our shared interest in mythology and uh, weird conspiracy stuff from the fun aspect of it. We talk a bit about all that uh, in the conversation. And also, of course, uh, Mike just wrapped up uh, the first season of Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye, one of the great young animal books of uh, DC's uh, new imprint that Gerard Way runs, and uh, collaborations with Nick Filardi, Mike's colorist, John Rivera, and, of course, Gerard Way. So uh, we really get into that conversation in particular because that's uh, been uh, what Mike has been working on uh, most recently. But we kind of give you an overview of a lot of what we uh, discuss in the book as well. Uh, It's a good almost commentary to uh, No Plan B, which I really encourage you to get. What a great uh, display of Mike's art. And again, I am so pleased to have been part of this project in a small way. So uh, real fun to have a good conversation with Michael Avon Oming on today's Word Balloon. It's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your support via Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash wordballoon, you can subscribe to Word Balloon there or go to the front page of WordBalloon.com and click on the Patreon ad. Do you think Word Balloon is worth the price of a comic a month? Uh, I, You know, I, you, can you spare it if you can and think the show is worth your while and helps you enjoy this hobby? Uh, go to Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. I got some new people this month. I can't thank you enough for helping uh, Word Balloon along and uh becoming bigger and better and hopefully uh, giving you some great entertainment in the process. Thank you very much League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Instock Trades. At instocktrades.com there are really great books that are available at Instock Trades. There's The Absolute Justice League, World's Greatest Superheroes. Those are all the stories that Alex Ross and Paul Dini did in these giant pre uh, treasury edition Uh, volumes, so it covers uh, what what were those titles back in the day? Uh, you got Batman, War on Crime, Shazam, Power of Hope, Wonder Woman, Spirit of Truth, Justice League, Secret Origins, uh, Justice League, Liberty, and Justice. Uh, These are amazing stories, and there's something about Alex's art, and I know Alex is a past sponsor of Word Balloon, but uh, I like Alex. I love his art. I have from the start. He presents things in such a distinct way that there are the regular Marvel and DC universes. And then through the prism of Alex Ross in his eye, uh, I think they just come to life in such a an amazing way. And you really feel like you are looking at real people that, that could exist in that beautiful Alex Ross art way. Well, you get 396 pages of this and it's uh, 50% off. $37.50 at InStockTrades.com. Here's another Justice League property, another omnibus. Uh, this would be the Justice League International Omnibus, Volume 1. Keith Giffen, J.M. Dematis, Keith McGuire, and others. Uh, Keith McGuire, Kevin McGuire. What's wrong with me? Sorry about that, Kevin. Uh, what a great volume, man. And this thing collects Justice League 1 through 6. That's the original uh, series that started everything off. Then uh, 7 through 25 of Justice League uh, International. Justice League America, uh, that is 26 through 46. Justice League Europe, 1 through 21. Suicide Squad, number 13. Justice League International annuals, 1 through 3. Also, the Justice League America annual, number 4. And the Justice League Europe annual, number 1, plus a lot more. 1,080 pages, 42% off, $57.99. There's that neat graphic novel that's uh, out It's uh, Batman, the Dark Prince Charming. Uh, This is uh, an amazing book that uh, features... Who who wrote this? Who writes this stuff? Uh, Marini. Uh, It looks amazing, and I'm very excited about this. And I guess uh, Volume 2 comes out uh, in spring, but this will be the first volume, uh, 64 pages, 50% off, $6.49. There is also Star Wars, the Marvel UK omnibus, Pretty neat, man. This uh, collects all your uh, favorite uh, stories of uh, Great Britain uh, Marvel uh, stuff, uh, collecting Star Wars Weekly 60, 90 through 99, 104 through 115. A whole lot more. Uh, let's see, with a beautiful Tony de Zuniga cover. Who knew? I didn't know that he did uh, Star Wars stuff. 60% off. It's just $40 and in stock trades. More great deals from your favorite authors and artists. Don't forget you receive free shipping. On all orders, $50 or more, you'll find great books at great prices, in stocktrades.com. Before we get started, I should mention, midway through the conversation, we had a little technical difficulty. Uh, sometimes, I don't know why, some, some connections just get fuzzy sometimes. So we uh, switched from uh, Skype to phone about halfway through the conversation. But clear conversation, you'll be able to hear every word. Here's Michael Avon-Oming, now on Word Balloon. Mike Oming, we've been talking to each other all year, but off uh, off the record, uh, other than the uh, the final project that we were able to complete. But welcome back to Word Balloon. Hey, John, good to be back on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for uh, involving me in your uh, fantastic book, No Plan B: The Art of Michael Avon Oming.
1: Um, love- no, thank you, man. You really drove the narrative for the for the book. You know, um, you did a great job, and just. Those really long interviews that we did, and, and then you know Scott Alley being able to like pare it all down and and make this a, a you know um, a legible book, you know. <laughs> um, yes. Well, because there's so much information and it covers such a long period of time that has to be pared down to to a relatively short thing, considering you know the 25 years. So, between the two of you, I'm, I'm really impressed with what you're able to to put together and. um, yeah, I'm just really
0: proud of it, and glad you're glad you're part of it because you and I go back quite a way now. Absolutely, man. No, you're you're you go back to like I think two two thousand five or six was our first word balloon con- conversation, and uh, you know, truly, you and Brian and and I really you Brian and Mac that was half of the fun too was that like all four of us were involved in this, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's really nice. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, honestly, it was it was a a, pl- a pleasure to uh, to do it, and I'm really glad with the way it came out. It it looks great, and. Uh, Hopefully it reads good. I, I think it does, and you got you got an incredible story, Mike. And and I really think that it's a good story for um, beginners to hear as much as fans, as far as uh, but beginner artists because it, it didn't come easy for you, and you really had you know uh, tough tough things happen to you, but also early breaks, and then yeah. that mid career kind of where am I going? And mm. I think all of that is really important for people to understand that. You know, these aren't clear paths that you got it. you really have to keep pushing forward and hence your title. There's no plan B. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean especially in comics because it's it's just such a, a wonky industry and you know, if you have conversations with people who have made it, you know, in the long run, they're still struggling and you know, because there's there's always some sort of bizarre obstacles with comics, whether you get tired of the way the industry works it's never it's never the art form itself it's it's really just about the industry and the way that it works is kind of like a dinosaur and it, it can be frustrating sometimes and, and pretty limiting um but uh you know you've been in it long enough you go through the the peaks and valleys and it's um you just learn to live with it you know and becomes part of the mission statement you know you're going to be in comics because you love it you know it has to be like a, a it's you have to be a lifer basically to want to be in comics because otherwise it would be insane to want to continue working in this industry when it has so many you know pitfalls and shortcomings and stuff. It's it's all about the art form and the people you're around. Um, you know, I was out of comics shortly for a period of time when um, I was working at the video game company and I was miserable. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Also so, um, I covered yeah. in the book as well that yeah, you just you know it, it was. A good, good opportunity, but creatively, it really wasn't feeding you, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was spoiled. By, I've been spoiled by comics. I am spoiled by comics. Um, anytime I work in a storytelling form outside of comics, um, you know, you start to realize how lucky we are here, how much control we actually have over the finished product. Um, and that's something you're not going to find in a lot of different outlets. So it's comics for me, man.
0: Understood. And also, um, you know, it's great over the year, too. I had conversations with guys like Victor Santos and Frank Barberi, and mm. and, and both just individually would talked about how important of an inspiration specifically you were to them. Uh, really, uh, you know, and I know you've worked with Victor obviously on nice Templar, and uh, yeah, and it was just really great hearing um, Victor even say that you know you guys are hopefully at some point going to be able to do something where maybe you pencil and he gets to ink. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, yeah, that would be terrific. And also, I just think um, your styles obviously complement each other. And it just, it was great to hear. I forget that, you know, Powers, 1999 was the first year of Powers, right? Insane. Yeah, I think it was
1: either 99 or 2000. We were definitely working on it in 99. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure if it came out in 99 or if it came out in 2000, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it goes
0: back quite a way. Well, and that's the thing. I, you know, I mean, these guys aren't that much younger than you, but they are young enough that they're like, oh, no, Powers was a huge impact on what we do. And Frank said for violent love, because I said it's great to see crime, um, you know, f- that your guy's kind of style fit crime stories. And he's like, well, yeah, that started mm. with Omen. And I'm like, that's true. That's really great. <laughs> I mean, you know, straight bullets, David, David Laugham, but his even his style is, I think, different than yeah. your cartoony the the style you settled on in phase yeah. two of your career. Again, documented in No Plan B. But mm. uh, you know, yeah, that you know that was really cool to hear these guys talk about what an influence your stuff was to them. It is neat, you know, and, and it goes around.
1: It goes because. You know, I I I look at Victor stuff all the time for um, art stuff, especially when it comes to the use of, of negative space, of um uh dropping out line work and stuff. Um there's a lot of younger guys who've who come up and you know, I've heard the same thing, but it's like at least for me, because I don't don't feel like I'm in any way a master of my craft, I'm always learning stuff and um you know, even from the newer guys. I love looking at the newer guys and you know, learning stuff and, and Victor's definitely somebody who's uh we, we, we compliment each other artistically and we bounce back up off of each other um, just the way we work and um, I'm really happy for him too I mean he's been he, he's been working really hard making his own path in comics and and he's doing really well and you, I don't know if you know you just today they they sold uh, his book um, Polar which is a webcomic that Dark Horse later published um, and uh, that's making a film with uh, Mads Mickelson I'm not sure how to say his last name
0: I know who you're talking um, about but that was just- yeah, so I was just I was just announced today. I was like, wow, that's so that's so awesome, man. Yeah, I agree. No, Polar is fantastic, and uh, yeah, one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to Victor, and of course, Violent Love his uh, his series with Frank that's just wrapping up as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, or at least you know the first season of which is wrapping up. But no, Polar Polar's awesome, and and really, as soon as I read it, I'm like, oh yeah, someone's going to grab this. It's it's so cinematic in in the best ways, and it's just such and a so beautiful smart. book.
1: If you've seen like the web, the the book is beautiful, but the webcomic was amazing to do it silent, so he could have a truly international audience. Yes. Um, plus, it, you know, it's just amazing to to read a story like that. <clears throat> so, did you you actually interview um Victor yet?
0: Yeah, yeah, I talked to him uh, at the end of the summer. And- ah, okay. How's your Spanish? <laughs> he was he was <laughs> great. His no, his English was great. I, I, yeah, it is. We, we, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. I, I believe me. You know, another guy like that is Rod Rice from Brazil. You know, first mm. we were kind of self-conscious coming on, and I'm like, guys, I couldn't possibly do an interview in a second language. And your what your I ideas know. behind your words are very clear. And I said, no, yes. everybody understood what you said. I mean, yeah, they they just kind of you know they thought about it a little bit longer, and I tightened it up a little bit, but uh, but really not much. And no, Victor was terrific. Yeah.
1: It's, it's always a reminder of, like, how insulated we are in America, like how few of us actually speak a second language, you know. It's true. And, like, whenever I go to Europe or I talk to the other, these other guys, I go, oh, God. <laughs> God it's so sad. It's so sad. You know, we're, we're, we're missing out on a lot of culture and opportunities because we're, you know.
0: We're farmers. We're dumb farmers, man. <laughs> we really, no offense to the agriculture business, but it's the truth. Because I, I remember in, in 2006 at a uh, San Diego panel, this lovely British woman is like, you know, I, I'd like to do a podcast, but I'm afraid that my my uh, accent uh, might be uh, inhibiting to uh, an American audience. I'm like, it's your <laughs> language, ma'am. I'm like, we're the farmers <laughs> that keep dumbing it down. Yeah, I'm like, we're the one with the accent. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, But yeah, no, you know, I when's, man, when's the last time you went to a, a foreign convention?
1: Um, well, well, the last one was, was in England, um, but before that was Spain. I've been to Spain... I think maybe somewhere between six and eight times at this point. Um, uh, usually in northern Spain, I've been to Madrid and Barcelona, um, and up Victor's way is in, in north of Spain. Okay, um, it's one of the reasons why I've become really good pals. Is not just the art and you know talking to each other online, but luckily I've gotten to go over there quite a handful of times and uh, hang out with Victor and his girlfriend and uh, meet his crew of friends, which are hysterical. And he's got a whole scene going on over there. And very cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, before that was in Norway and France. Uh, I, I love going to Europe. The only problem is now that I live on the West Coast. Yeah, uh, it it went from being like a six and a half hour flight to like an eleven hour flight, and I want to die. I understand. So, uh, oh
0: no, man, oof.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of had like a small meltdown on my way back from from England. Um, it was just too much for me, man. Uh, I, I'm just getting older, and sure. I don't know, 11, 11 hours in, in in
0: flight was just. I was going to. Die or kill someone? <laughs> oh, I need sleeping pills. I, absolutely. Did, was it uh, Thought Bubble? Did you just do Thought Bubble, or was it a while ago? Yeah, yeah, it
1: was. Yeah, it was Thought Bubble. That was just. It was great. The convention was great. The location was great. And then uh, my wife talking. And I we just stayed in England for like two weeks. You know, we just made a real trip out of it, and we. Um, and then instead of like going up to the city, we actually drove around southern England, did a countryside, and we went to a lot of this just smaller towns. We just drive out to the middle of these. Tiny towns, it wasn't a tourist destination and stuff just to see how people live and, sure. you know, chill out and soak up life. Of course, we did stuff like Bath and Stonehenge and, um, uh, you know, uh, Glastonbury tour and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's mostly just chilling out and just seeing how people live instead of, you know, popping around from big city to big city. You uh, should get enough of that. Pretty much every big city feels like – I mean, even London really feels like New York. New York feels like Interesting. London. You've been to Barcelona. It feels – I mean, it's got its own thing for sure, but at the same time, when when everything's like a big city, it's just kind of hard to get a real vibe of what people are are really like, you know, because that's city life as opposed to like everyday life. I hear you. Um, But it's one of our favorite things, travel around and and just
0: see small towns and the countryside. Love it. That's excellent. One of my favorite uh, British television series I get from public television is Doc Martin, and it's like life on the Channel Islands, it seems. Oh, yeah. And it's, (laughs) And it's just gorgeous. All this, all I enjoy
1: talking crazy with stu- that stuff. I like I'm loving like uh, there's a show about about walks in the country. <laughs> and that might be the that might be the name of it, you know. But like that kind of stuff, I love watching old episodes of Time Team where they're just going around to different. It's like a it's like an archaeological reality show where they have three days to dig up an archaeological site in make like, some small British town, and you know they find some. Uh, tiles or something everybody gets all excited and stuff and uh, that's <laughs> it's kind of boring but i don't know i just i love it i kind of feel like i'm there because you, you get to watch that stuff without the distractions of i don't know whatever else they're talking about just you know life in small towns there's something about that that's fascinating
0: that's cool you know every time uh, i flip by i haven't been watching it as regularly as i used to but anytime i see ancient aliens of course i think of us because uh, i know you're uh yeah you know you love all that stuff too and, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. There was a there was a little video on on uh, Microsoft, uh, you know, on, on I'm assuming Bing or whatever. I don't know where the hell I flipped mm. my homepage, where it Bing. was about these little uh, islands in the middle of the Pacific where there's just these amazing stone structures, and they're these tiny little islands and stuff, but they discovered them through satellite uh, fo- photographs, and then they actually went to them, mm. and then there's just these weird kind of, like, stone uh, walls that are, you know, not just a thin wall, but actually, like, you know, yeah. maybe th- 17 feet wide, like, thick. Yeah, And also just these big, just very, very uniform kind of square little, like, island uh, kind of buildings. And it's like, what are they? What do they represent? They're like They're in Micronesia. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy.
1: I mean, there's just... You know that the one of the reasons I love that that show is, is part of the speculation, of course. Sure. But then there's just a lot of stuff in in the history that's just gone that we just don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. And it and it doesn't mean it falls under the alien category in any way. I I but I do truly believe we just lost. You know I think there might have been some pre-diluvian civilization that was you know the equivalent of like a, a Greece or Rome at its or. But uh. Egypt at its height or something. yeah, Or the um, Aztecs. Like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's all these ruins everywhere, even here in America.
0: Totally. No, yeah. I, I and, agree. Um, yeah, yeah. There's no
1: explanation for it.
0: And, well, anyway, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. And, and again, we kind of get uh, spoiled, I think, in recent years at how every second now is documented uh, by video yeah. and stuff. And I literally always say that, like, even the 20th century where there was plenty of newsreels and, and, and radio and television, mm. there are still pockets of things that weren't filmed or weren't recorded. Yeah, that's- and that's what
1: drives me nuts is like whether you're, you know, a fringe guy watching ancient aliens or um, a straightforward archaeologist, is people don't like to say, we don't know. Yes. You know, I mean, they will say it, but I mean, it's in rare cases, you know, like um, they, they, there always has to be an explanation. It's like somebody always has to have an opinion and be right. And it's like, can't you just say, we don't know yet? You know, that's that's it. You know, we don't, we don't know why it looks like they're, like off the coast of, of Cuba, one of my my favorite weird things. Um, it's like way down under the ocean. There um, there are these radar hits of what clearly look like old buildings. Um, but they would be like insanely old for it to be on that level of the, of, of the ocean floor. Um, it doesn't mean that they are buildings, but it means something weird is there that's geometric and, and it should be looked at. Um, but nobody wants to really look at it. It is just weird that... Of all the answers we're looking for in the archaeological and and ancient world, that's, you know, those kind of things that are just kind of there out in the open. If they're too big of a question, they don't even seem to be addressed, let alone anybody trying to actually come up with answers for it. And the answers that do come up are usually pretty speculative, even if they're from the point of view of, of, you know, archaeologists. A lot of times what we're saying about places like Obekli Tepe and ancient Egypt, a lot of it is, is speculation, even in the mainstream.
0: I understand. And it's like why speculate? Just just say we don't know. Well, and that's like I said, what you described in Cuba is exactly what uh, they had in this, these Micronesian islands. Uh, yeah, yeah. So no, I understand, and you're right. It, it, it is interesting. And by the way, of course, I should mention we're recording this on uh, the day that they're releasing all the JFK files, or not all of them, I guess some some are yeah. being held. But uh, and that's going to dovetail into another thing that uh, you and I were involved in that still hasn't seen the light of day. But uh... yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking today, Tony. I'm sure you're you're aware of him as is, uh, is Jim Mars, the famous uh, writer, researcher and journalist who who wrote the book that uh, Oliver Stone's JFK was based on Carl crossfire. Um, and he just passed away like last year. And it's it's a real shame that his voice isn't around right now to to comment on, um, you know, the, the the release of the, the of papers, you know, the, the limited release, which I, I, it's so funny, like I one of my other fascinations is about the conspiracy culture. Um, And that doesn't necessarily mean that I enjoy or believe in the conspiracies. I just find the entire scene fascinating. Um, And when, you know, they were releasing some of the paperwork, but then they couldn't release everything immediately. All the conspiracy stuff starts up again. (laughs) And it's like, they released so much information. Wasn't like 5 million papers that were classified at the time. And, it was anything even closely tangentially related to Oswald or JFK stuff. So there's lots of stuff in there that has nothing to do directly with JFK or Oswald or the investigation. Like it's just tangentially related to it. And and it's stuff that's still, you know, um, probably legitimately sensitive. And, but, but, you know, everybody wants to use that to jump to insane conclusions right away that, you know, Oh, this just proves that, the conspiracy continues and stuff. And like, well, I don't think that he acted alone. Um, I don't think it's
0: impossible that he did, you know? I do know. And I, yeah, I, I feel the same way. And I think some of the more recent uh, things that wasn't, um, oh God, the ABC guy, wasn't it Peter Jennings? Not Peter Jennings. Yeah, it was Peter Jennings. I think mm. Maybe before he passed away, he did a couple Kind of looks at at uh, Dallas and everything well my yeah. my uh involvement came uh at you know what the hell let's talk about it we we both were part of a show that still hasn't seen television yet, but we we recorded our parts it's a conspiracy yeah. show and um yeah you know i'm i'm, I'm, I'm I'll, my part was about uh a JFK assassination attempt supposedly three weeks before Dallas in chicago and uh <coughs> and and there and uh, there's a secret service guy that uh worked on the Kennedy detail prior to this assassination attempt was in Illinois uh, for, uh, and back in Chicago for this event and wrote this book called echoes of Dealey Plaza, because having mm. been on the Kennedy detail prior to that, this guy, Abraham uh, Bolden is his name. And um, he was on the Kennedy detail. He was originally from Chicago. Kennedy met him at mm. the party that Richard Daly gave to say, you know, that kind of mutually, Hey, thanks for the votes. Uh, Kennedy, yeah. you know, and also, yeah, don't worry. You get, I mean, we got your back here in Chicago and stuff. Yeah, but don't <laughs> worry, the graveyards are behind you, JFK. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he meets Abe a, a Bolden at this uh, at at this uh, event and said, "Do we have any black secret service men? And Mr., and Mister Bolden said, "I don't believe so." And he goes, "Well, if you're interested, you know, you could work there." So he came to Washington, worked under Kennedy. He said was heavily persecuted by a lot of the other secret service mm. guys. And hated it because of it, so he has to be transferred back to Chicago. Then this uh, assassination attempt supposedly happens in Chicago, and then uh, three weeks later, uh, Dallas happens, and he thinks there's a connection and tries to Mm -hmm. bring it to the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission won't hear him out. He did uh, get to speak to the 70s reopening uh, Congressional Commission. They yeah. didn't feel that his testimony was valid. His station chief uh, contradicted his testimony. And, uh, you know, so he was kind of discredited. And but, uh, you know, and really went through a tough time. He he got right after trying to get to the Warren Commission, was arrested for uh, a counterfeiting scam in Chicago, where he was supposedly passing off fake uh, five dollar bills in the communities and stuff and and he's you know obviously claimed his his innocence and that the, mm-hmm. the that it was all trumped up and everything but he spent 3 years in jail and then finally got out got out of the what? intelligence business and um but but wrote this book and he's still alive and I got to interview him and we talked about this story I won't go into further details cuz I'll let uh, hopefully that TV show's going to eventually find yeah. the light of today <laughs> but Jimmy Church yeah. was the host of that right
1: Yeah yeah so yeah we can I think we can yeah let's talk yeah, about that about general I mean, this, strokes so this, you know So this is funny like you know I was I about I don't know, four years ago, I started listening to the Jimmy Church show, and it was very much in vain of the best of the, the fringe conspiracy UFO shows. Like Art Bell great about in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and what's great about it is that Jimmy specifically he has such a positive attitude. Um, one of the problems when you listen to a lot of these fr- fringe shows is people are clearly angry, and it's like – you know it's it's formed their view on the world, and they're angry and bitter, and it's like dark and ugly. And I can only take so much of that, you know, but sure. Jimmy is having fun every night. He embraces the question. What if, you know, um, he doesn't draw a ton of conclusions so much as he just lets people talk on the show. And, and it ranges from all kinds of crazy stuff. And we just, I became a fan of his and started writing into him through Twitter and drew a couple pictures of stuff. And, <laughs> um, I didn't know that you were in, in any way connected to this when Eventually this kind of came around and he asked me to do a, a segment and, I think it was the producer mentioned that you were doing something. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about the other segments. And I was like, wait, John Suntris? Like, I know him. <laughs> it was just so bizarre that you and I are on the same show from just completely different angles. I yep. have no idea about each other being involved and stuff. It was hilarious. Uh, but I, yeah, yeah. And I, I shot my, my segment um, last year. And um, yeah, I, I hear it aired like somewhere around the world. Really? Like, was it Canada? something yeah so the episode has aired someplace um internationally um under a different name of what it's going to be here in the states oh okay. but um i mean obviously we'll will you know we'll let all of our readers and listeners oh, sure. know that it actually uh, comes out here and there's another guy on the show um who is uh local that we haven't met up yet but we'll probably actually meet when the show comes out we'll get together and watch it his name is brian lunduk and um Brian is a, is a tech wizard. He was just on recently talking about the the Vegas shooting and the suspicious amount of non-material, non-data material that's available for the shooter. Like, there's no photos of him. For a guy who has three smartphones, there's no sort of Google tracking of him or anything like that. It seems like I'm I'm not into the conspiracy and on this stuff, but it, it definitely seems like the, the data information on this guy is suspiciously gone wow, um, or just doesn't exist and you're talking about you know the shooting happened in the most filmed place in the world
0: at a, at a live <laughs> and event, there's you know right just, well at a live event yeah. Too.
1: yeah yeah witnesses you know they handed in their phones with footage on it and they get their phones back and they're wiped you know that's just weird stuff it's wow. that's the kind of stuff that breeds conspiracies And if nothing happened god that's if you terrible. Wipe somebody's you know, and you know, other people. You know, it's, it's well known. You can have photos from a crime scene and hand it over to hand your phone back, and they don't wipe everything out. But in the case of all these uh, these people there, they did. So it's. And again, I'm not saying that there's, that there's anything going on. I don't even know what the conspiracy there could be or why it would be or anything. But um, that's what I find interesting about conspiracy stuff is how I, I've I've always felt that that conspiracies in our American culture is like an extension of our anxieties on a, on a, on a, a, a national level, basically. Sure. Um, yeah. So like kind of way when bad things happen to you in life, you, you develop, you know, anxieties and neurosis and you start thinking and feeling certain ways because of that, I think that can happen on a national level. sort of anthropological, anthropological level. <laughs> That's not the word. Um, so yeah, so just, yeah, it's just fascinating to me because part of it is society, part of the psychology and, um, Yeah, it's just deeply fascinating. So so the show is going to be really cool. You know, Jimmy Church put together this really neat concept, and um, I had a fun time filming my stuff here in Portland. We did a a segment on um, drones and drone technology and where where that was going. Um, And I kind of feel like all these things seem to tie in together in our modern era where everything that we have is – all this technology, whether it's our phones or TVs, it's down, it's down to the it's down to the point now where you have uh, smart brushes, like hair brushes that you know have microphones in them and mirrors and you know coffee makers and stuff that talk to you and listen to you and gather information. Like it's and it's just so weird. And then we have this like huge, huge breach with um uh what was it um, Equifax. That's the word, yeah, Equifax, you know, and like 50% of Americans have just completely have their entire identities just left out in the open, yeah, exactly. um, and we don't know if it's us or not, right? Right. That's insane. Yes. It's it's just nuts. Um, and I feel like also like the more I'm I'm trying to get back to reading stuff on paper because I feel like the more I'm reading on my phone and the more, the more I'm reading on my iPad, the less I'm actually retaining, oh, that's um, and maybe it's just part of getting older and I'm just not... <laughs> any information as much, but I don't know. Maybe it just, maybe because it's just not as tangible as reading a book. I, I, it feels disposable. Like I'm reading something and it's like, no matter how interesting it is, I'm just having a hard time, um, grasping it anymore. I don't know if it has to do with just reading so much superfluous stuff because your phone is constantly on you. So you're just always looking at something online. Like I, I think all of this technology is doing something to us psychological I, I don't know what it is. Um, but uh, it, it feels like we're the first two generations that are just being wildly experimented on by, our, uh, by ourselves and our own technology. And we don't know really what we're doing to ourselves. Well,
0: I agree with that. And I also think that as far as internet reading, uh, but I mean like literally web reading, I think yeah. is more disposable than it's ever been. And that disappoints me. And that's why yeah. truly I hope that things like what I do with the podcast – has a little more teeth to it, just because it's a natural conversation, and you know, and and, and hopefully yeah. people are really hearing your guys' views beyond uh, the printed page and the word. And uh, when it comes to not only describing your works, but the things that excite you and influence you, and I mean, I, you know, it's it's at least as close to a first hand account as I can provide, being the interview yeah. kind of stuff. But all that said, it's funny because I've been leaning more into my tablet and my Kindle and um yeah. i appreciate that convenience of of the ebooks and i and i don't have that disconnect because god i've been just uh reading a ton uh and it's just that, yeah. that convenience well, of carrying it all like, on the one device you know yeah it's it's
1: weird i do more maybe it's just i'm just not reading the right stuff cuz i'm reading more than i ever have but i'm reading less books than i ever have at the same time okay so you know, so maybe it's just that I'm allowing technology to dictate to me too much of what I'm reading because it's just so easy to grab, as opposed to you know grabbing a a book, even if it's on my Kindle. Uh, you know, my my Kindle, my Kindle and my phone. I'm still using it mostly for social media. I think I've been just letting that be too much in the way. And the same thing with news and stuff. Like, but then again, journalism kind of feels dead. So it's well, hard it, to I understand. It's know. hard.
0: It's hard to find the hard journalism and it's hard to find the good long form journalism and it's still there, but you have to, you really have to dig and, and television isn't helping much. And it's funny now I'm, I'm, uh, you know, experiencing news radio, uh, in my day job, but in traffic, actually it's an overnight job. I'm doing what you were doing in the Mm. parking lot, but instead I'm actually, you know, I'm reporting on traffic, (laughs) but I'm doing it in between the news reports. And while I think, uh, the news, the radio news stations honestly do a good job. It is still in that whole, you know, give us 60 minutes, we'll give you the world. So they, it is still short. And what I really, yeah. what I miss is really good long form journalism. And, and again, you got to go to places that still believe in it because, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's, it's fighting an uphill battle because I do think the majority of news sources and, and, uh, even entertainment sources Want to keep it short, and because they think, "All right, well, your attention span is obviously dwindled to microseconds." Yeah. And and I just yeah. again maybe again because of when we grew up, I'm like bullshit. I I like I said, I will do what I can <laughs> to provide long form content and hopefully interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you do a great job, and you, and you know you cover a lot of stuff, but you know. It's there's something great about there not being a gatekeeper to entertainment, and at the same time, there's something really shitty about it. I hear you. <laughs> you know, like for for every good show like yours, there's got to be fifty bad shows. Oh sure. And like, um, like I, I listen to YouTube a lot while I'm working. Okay. Um, and I want to find, you know, good podcasts to kind of watch and listen to on YouTube while I'm working and it takes so long to find two or three good channels. (laughs) Like it could take weeks because there's just so much out there. Um, And the same thing with just research on the internet. Like when you try to do research on something, there was an author I was trying to do some research on and um, there's so much information out there. It's, it's hard to find anything that's useful. It's, it's really, um, it's it's, it's, it's weird. So yeah, I'm glad there's shows like yours out there that, you know, have, that are, that are quality and just talk about, not only about comics, but kind of the world around comics. and Because you can't draw and write comics without the world affecting you and influencing that in some way. Sure. And I, so I think that's just as, as, as interesting.
0: Let's pause here. We'll be back with another uh, bit of our conversation with Michael Avon Oming on Word Balloon. Okay, let's get back to our conversation with Mike Oming on today's Word Balloon the first thing that comes to mind as far as uh, you know something that is has likely been an influence on your recent work given what we've just been talking about uh your run on cave carson which just uh, the first i, I am. Did, now did I, I have to ask are you are you staying with the book cuz it seems like you know this is the end of like volume 1 yeah basically it's just
1: the end of volume 1 and then we're coming back um we we're supposed to start already but there was a little a bit of a uh, of um of uh pause because of there was like a big crossover event with um young animal and it's it's those things are just always hard to orchestrate so it's just taking a little longer but yeah i'm still in the book um supposed to have a new script in really soon and start drawing and yeah it's 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 as close to doing a creator-owned comic for a mainstream publisher as i could possibly get
0: that's excellent I, uh, yeah. Just, well, you know, we best. we covered it in the book, but for the radio audience, let's, let's, ta- or the radio audience, the podcast yeah. audience, let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, how, how this, uh, came about as far as you getting involved with Young Animal and Cave Carson. Yeah. I got a call from, um, DC.
1: I guess it was about two, two and a half years ago. I couldn't have been that long. I don't know. I'm not good with time right now. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, yeah, they just, they, they called just to see if I was available. Um, because, uh, like, uh, Young Animals is an imprint um, that's being driven by Gerard Way. People are relatively familiar with, with Gerard from his musical career, but what a lot of people don't know is that before My Chemical Romance, Gerard was a hardcore comic book guy. Like he was, he was working at um, was it Marvel? He was working at as a
0: as a um, as an intern. I'm pretty sure it kid. was, but let's I'll even look it up to make sure.
1: Yeah, and we were working together with yeah, we were working together with Jim Kruger. Um, who wrote foot soldiers um, and a bunch of other great stuff. We were working together um, way back in the, in the mid nineties on one of Jim's projects. We just did like a pinup together or something. So like he was legit about being a comic book artist, so a comic creator and writer. That was his, that was his drive. And then nine eleven happened. happened. Um, and you know, for I I'm guessing he must, he was in his late teens or early, early twenties when it happened. So it was, extremely formative to him and formative and he started his band to kind of express himself and the band just took off like so quickly and became my chemical romance is just huge. Uh, but he never gave up on comics as everybody knows, like, you know, he rolled out with umbrella Academy in the early 2000s yes, and um, when umbrella Academy came out, it, it was so unique and so different and so cool. Um, the, the only bad part about it is just there, there wasn't more, you know, um, because he was also balancing out this other career. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the other career. So I see, I call it the other career. Um, and, uh, yeah. So years later he came to DC. I don't know exactly what the genesis of young animal was for him. Like exactly how it started. I'm sure I've heard it in an interview or so. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so they were putting it together and, um, he remembered me and he's followed powers and stuff. And, so my name came up for this and it was just at the right exact time. Um, we had just finished the Powers TV show mm-hmm. and um, the, the Powers comic was completely derailed by the TV show because Brian and I were both working on it. Sure. So the schedule for that just completely went just out the window, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, it was just perfect timing. I just, I didn't have anything really filling my, my, my drawing table up and um, just got started and just ran with it and him and co-writer... Um, John Rivera. <clears throat> excuse me, Jonathan Rivera, who's a good longtime friend of of um, of Gerard had Worked together on comics before. It was the co-writer on it. So the three of us were working on it for the first six to eight issues, I think. And then Gerard um, moved on to oversee some of the other books a little more tightly. And Jonathan and I and Nick Filardi have been. Um, putting together the, the the writing, the coloring, and the arts. And uh, the whole time Molly Mohan's been our editor, Molly's just been great at steering the ship overall. And, um, yeah, it's a fun, weird, weird book where I get to do <laughs> stuff that I would never normally be able to get to do. There's lots of psychedelics. Yes. And then Nick's using my color or my, my art to do some amazing stuff with the colors, stuff that I would – that neither of us, again, would have an opportunity to do elsewhere. We, we work together all the time, but – cave is completely unique and in in a way i feel like nick and i are the artists together on it like he is so his his fingerprint is so heavy on this it's not just a great colorist backing me up it's it's really the two of us doing the
0: art together the psychedelia Um, yeah the psychedelia it is is really you know obviously hangs heavy on the coloring so absolutely and and i wonder was that what Gerard and and Jonathan wanted. I mean, it, like, was that something you guys wanted for the start, or is that something you discovered? Because again, it's Cave Carson as a cybernetic eye, and it could be very yeah. technical, it'd be very microscopic and or scientific in its portrayal, or it could get as mind blowing <laughs> as you guys chose to make it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, so so it goes back actually before Cave, um, Nick and I worked on a, a creator owned book called The Victories, um, and on the Victories, like I wanted to use a lot of uh, Zipatone um, that kind of like dot pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and just let Nick go crazy. Like other than that, I was like, just do whatever you want. Like, I don't want to give you any art direction. Like we, we give Nick certain art directions for powers and Takio and stuff. And this, we're like, just, we, I just want you to just do whatever you want. So when we were talking about colors for, for, um, for cave, of course I brought up Nick cause we have a very long working relationship and, I think Gerard had already mentioned something about wanting to use like a certain amount of of zipitone in this this bot matrix look, so I showed him those stuff and he was just like crazy. He's like, "Yes, this is it. This is it, perfectly." Um, so with the tone of the book, it, we, all the elements just came together very quickly. So there wasn't like a giant conversation about like how out there we can make it. The it, it all just really came together on its own. Um, And uh, then we just, once we realized that was the tone of the books, I think that kind of really came together by issue one or two. And once we we got our our finger on that, we just ratcheted it up and just got more and more psychedelic, um, especially as the material itself started to involve mushrooms and hallucinations and time travel and alternate dimensions and stuff. It just led itself to that, lent itself to that very, very easily. Well, was, uh, so yeah, I've been having
0: lots of fun. It's a great twelve issue run, and I, uh, I was—is uh, hey, this your first time you got to draw Superman in like six or seven? I forget which issue it was, but is that the, uh, what, no? You, actually, I, I actually got to um, draw a Superman story. It was
1: for their their digital uh, Superman Adventures. Oh yeah, um, or Adventures of Superman. Yeah, um, and that was co-written by um, by Brian Glass, my old partner from um, Ship of Fools, and my like, template and and stuff, yeah. and, and also Nick Nick colored that. Um, that was a lot of fun to do, but, uh, but this particular one with Superman was extra special because he got to do just the most <laughs> bizarre stuff. Um, this, this was a full-on Mason issue. It was also uh, Jonathan Rivera's first um, issue that he was writing uh, completely on his own, his Okay, first, uh, full script. For cave and um yeah it was just out there we have superman's face opens up into a dimensional portal and tentacles come out and swallow cave carson so i think i'm the first person to draw superman's intestines um <laughs> cave <laughs> cave was also naked through most of the the episode or through the, through the issue so i think i was also the first person to draw a penis on the same page with superman um of course we had to blur it out but that became even funnier that it was blurred um so you know, I, I like getting to do firsts, and I I feel like we got to do a couple of firsts with Superman in there.
0: That's outstanding. <laughs> I remember you telling me that, like, when uh, people people ask you to draw uh, Christian Walker naked from Cowher's, uh you would always, like, draw him like, oh, yeah. naked at the fridge or what. <laughs> yep. Very casually naked. <laughs> like, what's the most natural thing for a for, for walker to be doing naked? Oh, yeah, he'd be getting a midnight snack. <laughs> 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 no, you know, and also... <laughs> I you know this also goes back to when um, Azzarello and Eduardo Riso, I think as a rehearsal for uh, Hundred Bullets did Johnny Double and it's just, mm-hmm. DC has all these great weird little characters Doctor Thirteen is another weird character oh, like yeah. that and Cave Carson totally fits in I mean I think Cave came from the much more uh, it was that great Silver Age period where. You know, science was so fascinating. You know, Julie Schwartz and all those guys were fascinated by science. And, I mean, in the case of Julie Schwartz. Science was the adventure. What's that? Science was the adventure. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's the thing, taking these characters and and just giving them just enough of a crazy spin that they're still true to who they were. But it's just this, you know, you you ain't Murphy Anderson, bud. I mean, <laughs> <it's>...
1: <laughs> and what's funny you mentioned you mentioned Doctor Thirteen. I um in my my life before powers, I actually drew uh, a Doctor Thirteen um, annual or special one shot thing, um, but it was inked by the, the original writer or artist. Matt not. Uh, I, I feel really bad. I'm forgetting his name. So long ago. Um, but he used a lot of stippling and stuff, so uh, it's crazy that, yeah, I got to do Doctor 13 way back in the day. I kind of wonder maybe we can see him in the cave, because that would be pretty appropriate.
0: Yeah, I would love to see him in there, and you know, they're making supposedly, I guess, a a Tracy 13 TV series, and Doctor 13 is her father mentor in the series and stuff, but I just read that that's another Warner Brothers TV thing that's, like, coming out, and I'm like, yeah, why not? Wow, that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the original
1: Ghostbusters, I think they, they they even used the phrase very much like ghostbusters i forget the actual
0: phrase in there but um yeah pretty cool man no i i i really was excited to see uh this i'm looking i'm looking man to see if i can find this uh this uh it was vertigo visions doctor 13, and I'm looking to see if i can find the uh, the artist for you uh who's the anchor matt matt Howorth no, Howard. There we go. Or Howard. okay. I'm just so sorry, Matt, if he's if he's with me. Hell of a cover. I'm looking at the cover right now, so that's pretty cool. Man, '98. <laughs> this is right before Mike. This is right before, uh, right before yeah. your uh, your 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 short uh, little like. All right, what do I do now? Kind of period. I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah, I think I'm not sure if I was working at the security booth
1: yet. Maybe it was just before the security booth. Um, I think it was. I think it was right around that same time. Wow. Very cool. Man. The security booth for for those who don't know was when um after many years of, of being fairly successful in comics, I had also I had to step back from comics. There was the the, the, the market crash happened in the mid nineties, lots of companies went out of business, people started losing jobs, it's hard to find work, and my son was born and I didn't need to bring in money. So I just kinda took a step back from comics for a little bit and just uh, had to get a regular job. And I ended up picking something where I could still kind of get away with drawing. Uh, So that was bigger than security booth late at night. I could sit up there and draw some comics and stuff. And that's where, uh, that's where things started to happen. You know, it's one of those examples of, of, of you have to step back from things to move forward sometimes, you know? Um, So it was getting that job and having to simplify my work. I was able to develop what would become the power style. And that's where powers happen and stuff.
0: Yep. The whole story documented in no plan B the art of Michael. Yeah. Available from Dark Place yeah. Comics. Yeah. With a special with interview John Suntry, uh, by Tom Sontris. Exactly, that I, that I conducted with Mike. So, no, this is, exactly, the, you read, read the story, guys, honestly. it's uh, The art book is great, and, you know, it was such a pleasure. I was at San Diego, uh, or rather, at Salt Lake City Comic Con. Uh, and, yeah, so yeah. and, and so many people really did, like, open the book and look through it and stuff. And, like, even people who weren't, you know, necessarily aware of your name were like, Oh, this is really amazing! I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like yes. Yeah. So, so it it was great, and also to see that transition from your original style and uh, to, you know, your your powers style that you know obviously has propelled propelled your career since. So now in between, are you, uh, you know, are you doing powers? What's going on right now as far as other Omen comic projects? Um, yeah, we're still
1: there's this, this arc of powers that we're working on for. It feels like two years now, basically, since the, the, the second season of the show. And it's just hard to get back on the schedule between Brian's schedule and my schedule. Um, but I've got three of the four to five issues done. So um, I'm hoping to turn around the last issue um, soon. And then Brian and I will powwow about how how we're going to get it back out there again. The powwow is still live; We still have plenty of ideas for it. Um, but, it, you know, I think we finally embraced it's just completely awesome. There's no schedule to it, you know, so maybe we'll end up doing them as uh, kind of continuing um, miniseries or continuing short arcs or continuing uh, annuals. Because the other thing is we also are in love with our other creation, um, uh, Murder Incorporated, uh, United States of Murder yes, Incorporated, sir. which I live by Taki. Um, and uh, we just finished the annual on that, which was also solicited like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, we just put all the, the finishing touches on it, so that will eventually be coming out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Brian I still have stuff going on with Powers and, you know, you some Murder, Inc. I've got some secret projects I've been working on for uh, a really long time. I have a, a fantasy project that I have uh, close, yeah, about 100 pages of it are finished. Wow. Um, and I'm just kind of waiting for the time where, um, maybe when cave is done or I don't have any other work and I'll have this huge body of work ready so that when I'm ready for it, you know, I'll be a couple of years ahead of schedule. I hear you. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's that and, um, doing lots of writing stuff. Um, got some interesting side projects that may or may not happen with, with television film. Terrific. Um, yeah, I mean, that was that was a great thing about powers is it opened up a lot of other doors that I normally wouldn't have um, any access to. So there's still ongoing interest in that stuff. And um, I think we'll have an announcement pretty soon for something. So that will be cool.
0: That's fantastic. Oh, I, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. Talk mm-hmm. about your experience in TV, Mike, because, um, you know, uh, Sony PlayStation decides to get into the Netflix, Amazon mm-hmm. You know Hulu kind of world uh, producing live action stuff, and you know yeah. obviously had been you know trying to sell powers to FX and uh, you know uh, in a, a few different iterations, and finally like let's just make it. And thankfully, yeah. you, know, you guys did get two seasons out of it, and a lot of people saw it. I mean, between uh, mm-hmm. the 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 PlayStation platform and Crackle, I really think yeah. Crackle was a huge uh, boon to you guys as well in terms of getting eyeballs uh, and getting a chance for people to see your stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because the whole project was pretty experimental, especially in in the distribution of it. You know, the the idea was that PlayStation wanted to um, start a network that would attract people to stay on the PlayStation console. You know, so you're playing games there, you're watching videos. And now because you can watch like The Walking Dead and you can watch Netflix and other streaming uh, channels through it, but they wanted to start to, program their own stuff
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so that's that's how that got started and it was really super experimental and it was pretty crazy because because all the rules were different none of the rules seemed to apply to us you know and we got to do a lot of crazy stuff especially in the writing that normally you probably want to be able to do on a, on another show and um yeah brian and i had a lot of of um involvement in it um especially in the second season the, the more we found our feet, the more confidence they had in us to, you know, uh, co-run the show and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, that, not that we're showrunners, but I mean, as far as on a producing end, you know, Brian was doing a lot more writing on the second season. And, uh, yeah, it's just too bad we didn't get a third season because I really felt like the second season, we were finally figuring things out and standing on our feet. And um, I loved the way it ended. And it would have been really awesome to be able to finish that story out. So, um, but like I said, it, it also opened up all these other opportunities to us and um, those opportunities are still going on. So we'll see how it goes.
0: That's cool. And then
1: hopefully Brian and I will land something else together too, because it's not just that I'm interested in working in film and television, but I'm really interested in working with people that I, that I love, you know, I want to work with Brian again in this kind of relationship or um, other people like our, our manager and stuff who we become really close with. Um, so it's it's like an extension of comics. I don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it. Um, it's it's there's an entire experience that goes along with it. Um, one of the best things was just getting to know our cast. Like I didn't think we'd become really good friends with our cast. I would just figured you know some of them would be nice and some of them would be you know actors, actors and stuff. And, sure. um Instead, everybody turned out to be really awesome, and uh, we're still pretty close with them. Some of the one of the cast members came out and stayed with us just to get away from LA for a little bit. And um, there are people, who hopefully, we'll work together again. And then if we
0: don't work together again, I'm just happy to have make sense. fans. Great, great uh, cast that they assembled for you. And yeah, I agree with you. I think both the writing and the look of the show really improved in the second season. And as you say, I mean, hey, every television show needs, you know, a season or so to find its footing. And it's very weird yeah, yeah. you find ones that really are. Ready to go first first episode and moving on. It's the, oh my god it, that's the exception. And I you know yeah you know I'm, hell I'm uh, I don't know if you're a Star Trek person but I'm watching Discovery and there's a lot I like about it but I, there's a lot I really don't like about it as well. Yeah, I haven't had
1: a chance to uh, to watch it, but it's definitely on my radar. Oddly enough, I'm completely in love with Orville, which I didn't think. <laughs> I, I didn't even know what it was going to be, and it's just a total homage to Next Gen, like yeah. even down to like the pacing, to like the way they they fade in and out of commercial breaks and oh, cut yeah. into a commercial break, and, like I, it's just crazy. And in the last episode I saw, there wasn't even very many jokes. It was just like a really good Star Trek episode. Was that um, was that the one with Charlize yeah, Theron, or the, yeah, or yeah. the one or the one after that? No, the one with Charlize. I didn't actually see the the one after that. Okay. Um, but even that show, you know, you can see it, it came out pretty fully formed. Um, the one that I'm I'm, I'm kind of late on, I just started watching, was Mr. Robot. And one of the things that blows me away about Mr. Robot is it does seem to have just been birthed fully formed. Like the first episode and the last episode of the first season, it's just as good and it just completely knows itself. Um, and it has a fairly complicated production value to it. Like you don't see that look on a lot of shows it can't be easy, but they're doing it and they're kicking ass. And um, I, I don't know how deep I want to get into the world of, of Hollywood. Um, I, I guess I'll just go a little bit at a time and see what happens. Cause I know it's just as frustrating and, and devastating as comments can be, sure. except I guess the stakes are a lot higher, you know? Um, so it's,
0: uh, so we'll see how far, how far I go into that world. Well, I I do think it's amazing though because it is an interesting time because it is very experimental. And God, you know, uh, just like PlayStation uh, deciding not to stay in the live action business anymore, uh, that comedy channel, Mm -hmm. CISO, folded up. Yeah. And yet with these like fold-ups and it seems like, okay, well, the dominant dogs seem to be present. MGM is developing its own streaming service and... Uh, they're going to do a Stargate prequel series wow. about like. I think the, the 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 key though is like if you're going to start a new streaming,
1: I think it's better to to team up with another streaming service because the 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 issue is people like while it sounds great at first, oh I can have Hulu for five bucks or eight bucks a, a month and Netflix for eight bucks a month and then okay well all right I'll get HBO Go for eight bucks a month and like you know like we completely dropped cable we have no internet cable for for years. We just use a computer and stream through it. Um, And if that means I miss something, that's fine. I miss it. Whatever, because I hate cable. I hate the monopoly (laughs) of cable. I don't want to deal with Comcast. I hate them. Um, (laughs) The internet that I have now is almost as bad. Actually, the service is worse, but at least it's not Comcast. I would rather have inferior... (laughs) I hate them that much. Wow. So anyway, so we don't even have cable. But the thing is then, yeah, I want a Seesaw or Seesaw but it's another five bucks and it's another five bucks and another five bucks. You know, the curiosity stream, love that. It. It's a science thing. I, I want it, but you know, I don't want to just keep sh- pretty soon. I'll be spending more on individual streaming services than I will if I just had an outrageous cable bill. I agree. Um, but I love that, that those choices are there and that technology is there, but it's, it's obviously going through some growing pains where, um, you know, there's, they'll figure it out. We'll figure out all this technology as it's
0: happening, or hopefully. or people are going to leapfrog and you know have uh, CBS all access for for a few months so that they can watch Star Trek, and then when it's done, they'll drop that and pick up Hulu or you know yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's what this...
1: we did with the Twin Peaks.
0: We, we got it for months,
1: and you know I don't need Showtime, so we got it for months, and I'll get it next time if it ever comes out again or something. There you know, go. Um, yeah, Showtime is the only one of those things that have, that have kept me hooked. Um, they, they have just a lot of good. Well, they have all,
0: they're like HBO. They have like a ton of great shows. And again, same, I mean, as, same I mean, as Netflix, HBO, yeah. same as even Amazon. I love just because I have. Oh my god! I mean, I have Amazon Prime again because of all the the books yeah. that I bought, both hard books and digital books. And and it's great mm-hmm. having Amazon Prime because there's a lot of really good programming there too. Such great shows! I and like and and
1: shows that couldn't exist else, elsewhere. You know, yes. uh, Patriot um, is just just amazing show about where everything goes wrong um yeah it, it, it's it's i think that's one of the reasons why now i'm much more interested in film and television it's because before a it was just so much harder in the like 2000s the, yeah. the early 2000s the mid 2000s it was almost impenetrable you know um and now not only is the are the gates open but you're allowed to play um so before like if you got a deal your deal is basically you hand off your material, and it would be great you've got cash and you got money, but it would just go into the hands of producers, and it would become something completely different, and yes. you'd have pretty much no say in it. And now more and more, the creators are being invited. They, they want the creators of the, of the original property to actually be involved in the show. Um, so you know, that's why it's, it's changing, and that's why it's a lot more interesting now than ever before. Agreed. I mean, the money is always good. Of course, that's interesting. Sure. <laughs> but the amount of time and effort <laughs> that you put into these things, it can't just be for the money because, it, you know, that'll just drive you crazy.
0: Well, yeah, it's your it, – Or it'll just drive me crazy. Well, it's well. your creative uh, baby in the hands of someone else. And we've seen that movie. we That's what the 90s were in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and, and you're right, even the early 2000s. And now – you know maybe it's it, I I guess maybe Louis C.K is really the guy that I think kind of well and Robert obviously Kirkman I think
1: uh, No Kirkman's like, a huge part of that yeah, yeah. so Yeah it, I mean when the, to have the walking dead be that big I mean that it is insane I constantly marvel at how big walking dead I is know. Uh, the comic and the the show itself it's it's nuts man It's a
0: national <laughs> event when it's when it comes yeah. back I mean people really, yeah, it, really it, is. it is so funny that you're right walking dead and game of thrones are really like, okay, everybody kind of stops what they're doing and just like yeah, everybody their stand time behind those Yeah. And get yeah, and get amazing. very angry when the story doesn't go the way they want it to go, which cracks uh-huh. up as well. <laughs> yeah. It's nuts. No, I understand. Well and again, I mean that's the thing, and it's opened the door for all these other really interesting ideas. And that's why I am mm-hmm. constantly fascinated as much uh, about the 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 ones that make it and keep going and the ones that have a limited run, and it's like, well, God, at least you got to, you know, and I'm sure you and Brian feel this way about Powers. I mean, and you've already basically said it. At least you guys had the opportunity to get involved, and it's opened more doors. And, and again, um, you know, I think by the second season, it really kind of became closer to what you guys wanted it to be anyway. Oh, definitely. Definitely
1: did, yeah. I, mean, I know, and we also wanted it to have its own life, which is why the first episode was, I don't want to say it was, wildly different the first season but you know it's definitely different but it's because we wanted to have its own life first and then find its way towards the comics and find a a middle ground um i think that the one thing that we just i it's still a mystery to me and i guess it's okay to be a little critical of it now but is that the visual effects were so off for for both seasons we got to look better in the second one i don't know why it wasn't a budget thing i i maybe it's because we were working outside of the parameters of the normal rules of television. I don't know what it was, but that was the thing I think that just held us back uh, because the stories were good. thought all The acting was good. Costumes were amazing and stuff. Um, but I think it was the, the, the visual aspect that just kind of stubbed our toe a little too hard on, you know,
0: I do. Yeah, no, I agree. And I also thought that like, um, and you guys made that conscious change in the second season where just the art direction. And also it was just too sunny all the time. And it's like where are the shadows, yeah. where are the alleys. I mean, and again, a lot of it. Uh, my thinking visually was based on what you guys did in the comic and everything. So it was like, yeah, why doesn't this look more like an Omen comic? And I think in the second season yeah. it got closer to that.
1: Yeah, and well, that also helped because we got um, we got a, a, another cinematographer on the, the second season mm-hmm. who. Um, all my names are going out the window right now, and it's driving me nuts. Uh, um, but he was a, he was a huge part of it because he 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 moved the camera like he was a comic book guy. He lit it like he was a comic book guy. And I think if we got it to the third season, it would look exactly like Powers. It would have been pretty awesome.
0: That's cool. And by the way, I want to, because I, I've been looking stuff up while we're talking, uh, Gerard Way was interning at Cartoon Network when... Uh, oh, he was also there. Okay. Yeah. When, when I know he was at some comic com- book... Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he, he might have also worked at Marvel or something like that. I'm not sure.
1: Uh, yeah. The point, the point being, like, a lot of people will see, uh, you know, that he was a rock star doing comics and thinking it it was sort of this backwards thing. But he's he's a comic book guy at heart. He's as hardcore as any of us.
0: That's cool. right? right. I'm looking. Yeah, and absolutely. I'm, and I'm looking now on uh, IMDB to see who your uh, cinematographer was in season two. No, I honestly um, God, Trisha. Trisha Helfer was great in season two. And uh, not Trisha Helfer. It wasn't, ah, she was, so sweet it was Trisha Helfer. Okay, good. And then also yeah. – um, God, uh, uh, what's-his-face, uh, playing...
1: Charlton Copley it's, it's, uh, as Walker. Yeah, well, Charlton was, yeah, it was and... as
0: Walker, and, and, and God, um, Susan Hayward was great as Dina, but um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You're, you're big bad for uh, season two. Um, what's-his-face from uh, Paul fin- Eddie it? No, that's season one, season two. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, for oh, um, Michael... Um, yeah, Madsen. Michael Madsen.
1: He was a trip. I, mean, I can't believe <laughs> how great he was. Um, in his role, you know, playing this, this superhero, um, he played him like tragically and with his edge. He was just great, yeah. and uh, he was a funny guy on on set. I believe it. He then. was really sweet to us. Everybody was really nice to us. You know, um, I've been on other sets where you know people, some people are very Hollywood like. You know, it's it's you know I'm the star that kind of shit. You know, and uh, there was there was none of that here. It was great. Everybody was was superhuman, like literally. Superhuman beings.
0: <laughs> was, uh, and you know, I asked I asked Brian about writing with him and stuff. But Ben Edlin, I understand you guys were like kind of oh, always yeah. drawing in the writers' room and stuff when uh, when stuff was going on.
1: Yeah, that was so nuts because I had worked on like a short story for the Tick in the mid '90s or something. And of course, I've always been aware of Ben's work. Ben was aware of mine, and uh, so you walk into the into the writers' room, and it was two guys who never met each other but you know felt like we knew each other so immediately during the whole uh writer's room experience like we're just drawing crazy shit back and forth to each other some of it actually having to do with the story but most of it was just us uh, drawing <laughs> monsters and weirdness and shit you know uh, and then watching him uh take off with the tick and and that's uh it's a, it's a great show and it's just miracle that it could be brought back it's so hard to bring back a tv show even though we see a lot of like retro shows coming back, but think about such a cult fringe show like The Tick yeah, no coming back, and i so happy for Ben that he's able to get that going, and that it's successful, and it looks great, and it's funny, and it's entertaining, and um, yeah, maybe Ben will have me in the writer's room if I kiss his ass enough.
0: <laughs> 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 you hear that, Ben? <laughs> he was awesome. I, I, he's He, yeah. he came out Word Balloon. Uh, ben Blacker got me uh, in touch with him, and he was a trip. He was so He was so much fun, and he's like can we do it as I drive to work? I'm like, sure, man. <laughs> so he's on his car phone <laughs> just, just chatting with me as he's dealing with uh, L.A. traffic. And it was like, all right. He's like, I'm here. I'm like, all right, I'll see you later. <laughs> well, Thanks, he knew it gonna be in, so here's cinematography. He knew it was going to be in L.A. traffic. Is it, was it Christopher <laughs> Falbona. Not Bona. It's Chris, it
1: is a Christopher, though. It's Christopher.
0: Maybe I'm saying it. His name.
1: I can't see his face. Faluna. Chris Faluna. There you go. Chris Faluna. Okay. And Chris is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he d- he did really cool stuff. Like, there was a shot of Walker talking to his captain, and um, Walker's lying to the captain about his superhero past. And he throws this shadow across Walker's face, like his mask. Um, and it's really subtle, but it's it was that kind of stuff, you know. And um, if I ever get another show, um, Falloon is, like, at the top of the list for a cinematographer.
0: That's excellent. That's great. No, really, top to bottom, man. I really – and Will Wheaton was really funny. Um... Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it was it was it was like I said, it really felt like it came together more in, in the second season. And again, well, you guys got you guys got 20 episodes out of it however over a minute. Yeah, 20 episodes. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And and also a big part of it, <clears throat> not going to third season was just it was an experiment to drive people to
1: um, watch the show specifically on. Pardon me, on the um, PlayStation platform, um, so we actually had good ratings. We just didn't have the ratings as strongly on the platform as we did elsewhere. Understood. Yep. Yeah. So it happens. Exactly. No worries. And again, I'm so grateful for the whole experience. And
0: uh, that was, it's just crazy. It's crazy to think I had a TV show. Very cool. Well, you know, uh, some of these stories are covered in No Plan B, the Art of Michael Absolutely. Avon Owing, and it's uh, it's out you're from so Dark Horse. Much better, <laughs> you're so much better plugging this book than I am. <laughs> And it's a freelance <laughs> gig for me, so it matters not. But I wanted to promote it because I'm very proud of it. And again, I, I I can't thank you enough for involving me. And it was it was great working on it. And uh, it's it is it's it's a great art book. It's it's gorgeous be, be, uh, from Mike's contributions there, but also Mike telling his story. It's a, a first person narrative. I, I want. I just felt yeah. That, well, it's really was the best. way that you put it together. Yeah, that
1: was a really interesting way that you put it together. I mean, I was fully expecting it to be a kind of back and forth John question Mike answer kind of thing and stuff and it was really interesting the way you you, you you put this together so it sounds like it's all coming from me but ladies and gentlemen it's it's all John and Scott Alley putting it together and um and uh, Katie O'Brien who's the assistant editor nice. on it I <clears throat> and I can't believe the the book that was put together. It's just so perfect. I, I'm very happy with it.
0: Well, I wanted to represent then, yeah, your yeah. words yeah, and yeah. your thoughts as, as well as I could. And that's – I felt, again, doing it in a first-person narrative kind of it, – it. to me, it was like we were walking through a gallery and you're kind of explaining, mm. you know, the the, the, mm, the, yeah. the pieces and the projects and stuff as we're walking through. And that's kind of why. That's that's how I kind of came to – I'm like, yeah, hey, you know, something. I just really want to do this in Mike's words. I'm like, I think it would – Sound better if it was like that so oh thanks man and you were the, you were the very first guy I thought of of
1: putting when we were talking about putting it together and needing some sort of interview um, you're by, by far the best interviewer that i 've ever worked with, and uh, so yeah, I just thought of you immediately well, I, if we
0: do another one you 'll be, be there again it 'd be my pleasure man, and and hopefully this uh, TV show will eventually see the light of day, and our, our projects yeah. will continue and if hey if you ever yeah. whatever your next television series is, if you need a a podcast to watch it and, and re- review it and stuff and go behind the scenes. Oh, absolutely. You know, Word Balloon is ready. Absolutely. So. <laughs> well, off off the air I'll tell you about what's what's going on. Oh, there um, you go.
1: <laughs> But the thing is with, with well the thing is with any of these kind of kind of deals, you just celebrate each step along the way and there's like a thousand steps to get to actually even announcing the show. So, um yeah. So, uh you know, I'm just enjoying each step as it happens. At a boy. So far it was a
0: couple steps and that's nice. Well, keep it up, man. It's it's been a pleasure watching these twelve years and talking to you. Uh, the trajectory oh, of your you. career, and it's I think uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, you know things keep happening for you in in positive ways. And uh, no, I wish you and and Taki uh, all the best. And uh, and and again, the next time something new uh, pops up, you're always welcome to come back and we'll talk more.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's that secret project that I've been working on. That's built up like a hundred pages or so. I'm, I think I'm probably, because I've got such a leeway into it, I'm probably going to do it as a webcomic. Oh, cool. Um, and and then figure out a way to monetize it later or something. So the second I've got to figure it out, I'll let you be the first to know. That's how we can we can announce it. So we can talk about it, and I'll send you some art and stuff. And um, Yeah. Sounds great, man. You'll be the first to know. Excellent. Well, thanks for hanging <laughs> Thank tonight. You. Thank you so much, Ned. Thanks. Thanks for putting up with me, man.
0: That's Mike Avon-Oming. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And, uh, man, I'm excited about uh, some of the new projects that are coming up for Mike in uh, the months ahead. And I look forward to more Cave Carson, certainly. But uh, thanks to Mike. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Word Balloon, brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thanks, as always, League, for your support. And uh, you can subscribe to Word Balloon at patreon.com slash wordballoon or clicking on the Patreon ad at wordballoon.com. New subscribers this month already, thank you very much for your support. Old subscribers, thank you for your continuing support. You help Word Balloon uh, be what it is, and I uh, continue to grow with your support. There's some interesting innovations to Word Balloon that I intend to take advantage of uh, now that I'm on the Blog Talk radio platform. Thanks, everybody. I've got nothing but positive support uh, since the show has shifted over to Blog Talk, and I appreciate you uh, understanding that uh, hopefully these uh, commercials are uh, just going to help the, the show get better. And I hope they're not uh, too much of an uh, intrusion in your enjoyment of Word Balloon. I don't think so. I mean, come on. I'm trying to keep it cool. But, uh, you know, thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are tons of Michael Avon Oming books available at in Stock Trades, And I want to make you, uh, you know, aware of uh, a lot of them. Uh, we mentioned uh, Mike's series, The Victories. A very interesting series uh, on, a, on the dark side of uh, superpowers. It's uh, 42% off for Volume 4, MetaHuman, $10.43. Of course, uh, Mike uh, continues to do great work with Brian Bendis on Powers. Reach Back for role play, new printing of that. Uh, it's uh, Volume 2 of Powers, the second story. It's 42% off, just $9.27. You can get uh, more Victory volumes, Volume 2, Transhuman, is 42% off, $10.43. The same pri- price for Volume 3, fos- Post-Human, uh, also ten forty three. You can get uh, the Victory's uh, first volume uh, for 60% off, uh, $3.99. Not only that, you can get Synergy, a, a great book that he and uh, Takisoma did together, And uh, we cover that in The Art of Michael Avon Oming. It's 42% off for Synergy, $8.69. Some great Michael Avon Oming product available at InStockTrades.com. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. You'll find great books and great prices at InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to today's Word Balloon. More coming up in the days ahead. We've got a full November to remember. And I can't wait to present some of these great guests New uh, people to Word Balloon, old favorites coming back as well, comic book history, today's comics, and a lot more conversation in the Word Balloon fashion. Thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2017.